You're listening to the Behavior Change Marketing Bootcamp Podcast for people passionate about making a positive change. We believe understanding your audience is the key to maximum impact, and behavioral science takes this to a whole new level. Join your host, Ruth Dale, and expert guests to explore biases, beliefs, why we do what we do, and why we don't do what we said we would do. Hello, I'd like to introduce our very special guest, Kate Knight. Kate Knight is simply unparalleled in her delivery of tobacco control behavior change marketing campaigns. Kate headed up a behavioral insights unit across the Southwest, delivering behavior change marketing, tackling from all campaigns from environmental to helping individual quit smoking campaigns. And she's going to share with us today all of her learnings and her tips and her expertise. Kate and I have just established that we first worked together over 10 years ago. So she has a wealth of experience that she will share. Her official job title is Programme Director at the South Central West NHS Commissioning Unit. And I'm not sure if all of the listeners will be aware that there is actually a Behavioural Insights Unit within the NHS that does accept commissions and works really closely with other local authorities and organisations working to tackle behaviour change and support public health. So I'm going to stop there, pass over to Kate and say huge welcome to you, Kate. Thank you for coming on the show. Hi, Ruth. Thank you so much for having me as a guest on your show. It's really exciting to be here and it's given me a great chance to think back on some of the great work that we did together over all those years. Yes, as I just said, we discovered that there's over a decade's worth of campaigns there. So it's really hard to pick out of so many fantastic ones, which ones to talk about today. But the learning in there and the tips that we will share are absolutely fantastic and will support all comms and marketing leads currently planning their um, no smoking activity for March 2021. So, Kate, what do you think, looking back over the last 10 years of tobacco control campaigns, what do you think is the difference from now to then, what was what made it so brilliant back in the almost the heyday of tobacco control marketing? Yeah, well, it really was a heyday back in those days when when we first started working together, and we had an amazing set of directors of public health who back then were were based in the NHS. Of course, directors of public health have now come into local authorities. And they were this amazing sort of forward-looking group of people who decided that they wanted to pool their budgets and put this pot of money together and then set up an organization. And that organization was called Smoke Free Southwest. And we were targeted with with taking those budgets and developing some evidence-based insight-led campaigns and initiatives to encourage people in the Southwest to give up smoking, to understand the risks. So we were really lucky in that we had, looking back, what was, you know, the luxury of of really significant pots of money to understand the motivations of, of smokers, to understand why people smoked. Often they they knew it was dangerous, 
but why they smoked and what we could do when we really understood who those people were to try and enable them and encourage them to change their behavior and, and ultimately the holy grail really to give up smoking so they were they were great days but they you know all the lessons that we learned from those days and from the campaigns that we rolled out and, and delivered are still around us every day you know we still see them i still see those campaigns i still hear those messages and and you know the legacy has been enormous i'd say as you said at the beginning for our region so just looking a little bit at the breadth of campaigns because we all know that tobacco control is more about just helping one person quit. It's not about putting it all on their shoulders. And I think that was what really made the work special and true social marketing because you did stretch across subjects such as illegal tobacco, play parks, plain packaging. Which of those would you kind of tease out that you think would be really good to share for anyone who isn't familiar with them and just to share why the understanding those levers is important? Yeah, we did some great work and you said something there which really made me think about smokers and everything we did was about really understanding people who smoked and why they did it and not demonising them. So I think that there had often been this tendency to demonize smokers and said, well, you know, it's bad for you. You shouldn't smoke. But actually, the work that we did recognized that people who smoked, it wasn't always their choice. Often it wasn't their choice. We were up against this huge adversary, if you like, this enemy, which was and still is the tobacco industry, big tobacco. And they had billions of, of pounds to spend on marketing and influencing people and encouraging people to get addicted to tobacco. And that was the backdrop, really, of everything we did was, was to say, you know, we, we, this isn't about saying that you're a bad person because you smoke, but we understand how difficult it is for you. We understand all the external influences that are there that mean that you carry on smoking. And we had, you know, at times we had great fun because we had this ready-made adversary and we used to have some fantastic arguments with the tobacco industry and organizations like Forest, which were funded by the tobacco industry. And I remember standing and, you know, standing outside and doing interviews for national media, arguing with these people and, and sort of enjoying, enjoying winning the odd argument with them from time to time, which was, which was great fun. But, but you're right. We did a whole broad range of campaigns and we, we did some really everything we did, Ruth, everything was driven by insight. And, and by insight, I mean really understanding the behaviours of people. And I would say if that's one take home from anything we did, it was that unless we understood why people did what they did, we couldn't influence them. We didn't have the, the power or the knowledge to influence them. So, we did let me pick on a couple of examples. We, we did a, um, a whole raft of work around encouraging people to smoke outside of the home and, and keep their homes smoke free. So we weren't asking them to give up as part of this campaign. In fact, the message was much simpler. This one was saying, take a little step if you do smoke. And if now is not the time for you to give up, we understand that. But take a small step by making sure that you keep your home smoke free and ultimately you protect your children. 
And we knew back at this point that around one in five smokers still did smoke in their home, despite the fact they knew the dangers. And so we ran a whole load of of focus groups and we even spent time with in people's homes. We spent time in people's homes watching them and watching their day-to-day behavior and developing a real relationship with them. And what people were doing was we were seeing parents put their kids to bed at night, for example, come downstairs, you know, that moment of, oh, I've done my day, I've achieved, it's a bit of, bit of my time, we all know that. <laughs> come downstairs oh, yes. and, and open a window and have a cigarette out of the window. And, and they thought they were doing the right thing. And and understandably, people thought, I'm not smoking in my living room, I'm I'm smoking out of the window. And what people didn't understand was that actually, when they did that, the dangerous toxins were settling on their sofas, on their kids' toys, within the furnishings, within the house, and kids were breathing in that that secondhand smoke. And so people, people thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were doing the right thing for their families and their kids by smoking out of a window. But actually, what they didn't realize was that the dangers lurked within the house. So what we were able to do was take that understanding and develop a a campaign called Smoke Outside, which encouraged people to take the step of actually walking outside their front door, closing the door and having a cigarette outside of the home. And people wanted to have that clear information why should I smoke outside and how? What are the tips? How? What do I do? And what they needed to do was go out of their front door and close their front door. And that smoke outside campaign had a real impact in terms of encouraging people to change their behaviours. So thank you, Kate, because I just want to tease out what you've said there for anyone listening or everyone listening, I should say, because you've been so clear on the actual behavioural ask. So that's absolutely amazing, like top-notch insight. If you're actually watching someone, you're bridging that that gap of recall, that recall gap that perhaps you get, you know, in surveys and focus groups and to have the ability to actually see what people are doing, but also then taking the insight and really breaking it down so people have the actual behavior that is needed so it's not, it really shifts the messaging and I think strengthens it so much and increases the impact because actually, like you say, people need direct, clear tips. They need, they need to know what behavior you want them to do. And so I think that's where insight is just so powerful because it's taking you from a top line, you know, a quit smoking type, agenda type, you know, I know I should stop smoking and changing it completely to be much more about actually reducing your smoking or just stepping outside to reduce the harms on your children. But it's that focus on the actual behavior, physically what they need to do, get up, open a door, walk outside. And I think for me, that was what made that campaign incredibly powerful. And I think a lot more accessible to people. I think that's right. And it and it had a massive impact, you know, over the period of time. I think we reduced people smoking outside from around 22% of smokers to 13% of smokers. So it was it was really big. And you're right, it was it was just recognizing that people aren't always ready to give up smoking, but actually they could do something 
as you say, very practical, a small piece of action that could make a huge difference to their families. And you know, it was all about, you know, small change, big difference, really. You know, you make that tiny change. You just go out of the door and yes. close it. But the reward for you and your family and the kids is massive in terms of their health and their long-term health outcomes. So you're right. It was being very clear, being very clear and giving practical steps to enable people to make that that change, which have, which would have a huge impact. And of course, the concept of reward, as you've just mentioned, is a key element in social marketing and behavioral science itself. Show your audience the reward. And, you know, if such a simple act can have such a tremendous positive impact, then yeah, that's a fantastic reward for your audience. And I think, yeah, having that as a key component of the campaign is definitely part of the winning formula. And I also remember a lady called Kirsty, and th- that insight work you did was so powerful. I remember it literally 10 years later. Can you share with us Kirsty's story and your story working with her? Oh, Ruth, I would love to talk about Kirsty. I could talk about Kirsty for hours. And Kirsty was this amazing lady that we worked with. She lived in Torbay. She was a mum. She had a a sort of early teen she'd had a she was in her mid-30s Kirsty and she had a, a sort of young teenage daughter and we had developed a campaign called Be There Tomorrow and it was a campaign a really exciting campaign that ran on television and radio and billboards that was unapologetically emotive it really was pulling on heartstrings to shock people and and trigger them into giving up smoking and the message around it was think about all the things that you could miss out on if you die from smoking because actually one in two people who smoke die early as a result of that habit and we wanted to try and bring it to life. You know, figures like that are really big, aren't they? One in two people will die early from smoking. What what does that actually mean yeah. for an individual person? How can we bring yeah. that to life and make it mean something rather than just being rather a dry statistic on a page? So we wanted to find a person whose story we could tell to say to our, our target audience, look, this could be you. It really could be you. You could be one of these one in two people. And Kirsty was the person whose story we ended up telling. And we met her because she'd, we, we went and spent some time in a, in a hospital clinic because we wanted to find someone who developed lung disease as a result of smoking. So we spent some time working with clinicians in hospitals who were amazing. And they allowed us to go into their clinics and meet some of their patients. And we met Kirsty. And as I say, Kirsty was in her 30s. She was incredibly energetic, intelligent, articulate woman. And the minute we met her, she said, oh, I want to work with you. I want people to understand that I'm young and I've got a child. And But my whole heart life is being limited because I can't get out. I can't really get out of my flat because I've got lung disease and it's only going to get worse. And it's all because I smoked. It's so tragic, she said, because I, if only I'd known what an impact this would have had on my life. So we made a, a series of films with Kirsty 
they were amazing, Ruth. They were short. Some of them were short 30 second clips that can be used on so, you know, could be used on social media. We still use them that just picked up on tiny elements of Kirsty's life. So she would talk about how her family would go out and walk at the weekend, but she couldn't. She couldn't go with them because she just didn't have the breath and the energy to do that at her age. And she talked the one, the, the most tragic one, the one that really sticks in my head was that she worked as a cleaner and she had thought when she was first diagnosed with the disease that she got it because of inhaling all the cleaning products that she used. And she didn't, she, she was absolutely shocked when she found out that she'd got it because she'd smoked for so many years. And as she tells this story, she's got a tear running down her face. And I think it was so powerful and had an impact on so many individual smokers and in turn encouraged them to turn their lives around. So we owe Kirsty a huge amount. We really do for agreeing to tell a story. She's an incredibly brave woman. And yeah, and I think the way that you um, narrated her story was fantastic, to be honest, because like I say, I remember it. So, so how many years later? Yeah, years but later, yeah. I think what I really liked, and I think I've heard you say this before at conferences and things, that it's about bringing your case studies as close to home as possible. You know, a really good case study is actually, I'm sure you have a wonderful mm. phrase around bringing the danger closer mm. or something. What tips would you give to marketing and comms people that are looking for case studies? And why do you think she works so well? I think you're so right. You know, People like Kirsty enable us all to understand that this could be us. It could, you know, it brings the danger of that behavior closer to home. And without the stories of brave people like Kirsty, statistics just stay flat on a page, don't they? They don't influence people. It's not enough to put a tweet out saying one in two people die early from their behavior of smoking. We need to bring it to life. We need to tell a story and we need to find people who are willing to do that. And in fact, we always throughout our work and throughout the work that I still do with local authorities in the NHS, we always tell individual personal stories. When we launch a campaign, for example, we will always find people whose lives have been changed, who are, who are growing through an going through an experience themselves, who are willing to tell that. Because if you can do that, Ruth, the media will then pick up on your story. The media will be excited about it and you'll get far greater bang for your bucks in terms of editorial coverage in newspapers and on TV because they don't want to hear from me talking about a campaign or see statistics. They want to hear from real people whose lives have been changed as a result of their behaviours. So, again, you know, a real key takeout find people who are willing to talk about what they're going through, people who've got a story, people whose lives have been impacted and see if you can encourage them to tell those stories. And so often people want to, they, they want to tell their stories because their lives have been affected and they want to help. You know, it's a cliche, but it's true. They want to stop it happening to other people. And I think, you know, hearing those stories has more impact on on target audiences often than anything else. Yeah. So, and just to reinforce that, so from a behavioural science perspective, what you're taking advantage of is the very, very human factor that we are all herding animals and we do respond to social norms. So, 
putting that Kirsty story as a social norm, as a kind of everyday person just like me, will resonate and penetrate that your audience far greater than any celebs because celebs you don't think oh i'm a celeb you know a celeb is not just like me sorry celebrity i should say but kirsty is just like me unless of course you do have the luxury of marketing to some wonderful celebrities around the world (laughs) but it's a really important point because i hear in training loads you know people want to get celebrities or quite hard to reach people and Although they are influencers, yes, but to change behavior, then you are, you're much better focusing closer to home and local. And I think that's something NHS and local authority comms professionals are amazing at. And you have a unique way. You've got access through services. You know, you've got people in departments running youth programs. There's, there's people in your organizations that can help you do that. And you know, as we were saying that you can, these are multi-channel content then that you've got that you can just keep pushing out. And also you have shelf life with it. It really can be very evergreen in the sense you can reuse it across so many different time spans. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I think that whole concept of social norms is a really powerful one, isn't it? You know, I remember talking to Kirsty you know, she she was like the person next door. She really was. She was relaxed. She was lovely. She she felt like someone you would know and you wanted to know. But also she talked about social norms in a different way. She talked about, you know, when she grew up, everybody around her smoked, everybody. The, yeah. the social norm was to smoke. She, she never, she would never have thought about, you know, giving up or, or not smoking. It was the norm to smoke. So that, that whole sort of social norm concept is really powerful isn't it and um another point to pick up on from what you just said to tap in you're so right Ruth tap into local communities tap into local networks you know we worked on our smoke outside campaign we worked really closely with local fire people firefighters you know local communities people that work within those communities you know we had we had fire engines driving around with smoke outside messages on the side of their truck Oh, that's brilliant. Because they would go, it was brilliant. And they were going into local communities and local people saw them as, you know, as part of them. You know, and we got, had the added bonus of working with some very lovely firemen along the way, you know, which was great fun. And I think, (laughs) and I, yeah, I think also one thing, these case studies, it doesn't matter if it's not in your area also, does it? You mentioned Kirsty's from Torbay, but people people themselves don't differentiate with geographic boundaries. So someone she would resonate with someone in Bristol, someone over in Reading. You know, I think that's a really, we mentioned it at the beginning, but it's a really important point that if you can pull together as comms officers and work across boundaries and things, you will find your case studies can grow and develop because you increase the touch points, as Kate just said, you have lots of organisations that don't work in local authority boundaries and that might have a greater reach to a wider population. And um, even though for your channels, you might think, oh, you know, I'm just evaluating my Twitter or my Facebook or our local newspaper, for your audience, they consume media across the country. 
So I would say, you know, if you can come together and think a little bit bigger and think about the person, then you have such a, you have greater options, I, think, I guess I I'm trying right. to say. Don't have to have everyone doing it. Because I just know everyone is trying to grab case studies for March, you know, and just think if one person was doing case studies and the other person can be doing something else and leveraging all of the opportunities around them. I think you're so right, Ruth. I mean, we the part of the power of what we did back in, in the Smoke Free Southwest days was we benefited by pooling resources and you know, economies of scale. And, you know, we would produce a, a wonderful case study like, like Kirsty that would then be used across the whole of the Southwest. And she resonated just as much in Bristol, as you say, as she did in Tor, in Tor Bay. And I think, you know, there's no point in us all reinventing the wheel or all, you know, everybody within local authorities and the NHS trying to come up with their own material for, for no smoking day um, because we'll just be run ragged. You know, let's work together. Let's work together mm. and and use the expertise that we've got to, to come up with some, some pooled resources because ultimately it's so much more powerful. Yeah, and I think we have seen that through 2020 with Quit for COVID, which was just such a useful handle that was yeah. a bit like glue that brought everyone together. And also, of course, we've got the amazing Stoptober. Not that I'm biased, of course, but that is a fantastic campaign. We're talking about here is actually pooling the content. So it's the level down and just seeing how much more powerful that can be. And just yeah. to say, Kate, you were a behavioral insights team and you still are. So you are surrounded with a team of wonderful experts. And I thought it was just really important that everyone knew that you were there to support them. And if they are looking to commission any work through you, you can help support and develop tobacco control programs. And you're currently working with, is it East Sussex on some illegal tobacco work? Yeah, we've done some great work with East Sussex. Well, they're, they're a brilliant they're a brilliant local authority, really. They, they wanted to produce a toolkit for their public health teams looking at cheap illegal tobacco and how you know it undermines people's smoking efforts. So people often, you know, buy cheap tobacco from a friend thinking they're doing a friend a favour, but actually there's huge amounts of sort of organised crime behind it and it's dangerous stuff. So we do do, we do run, you know, we, we do get, take commissions. We, we, we are a part of the NHS, which is great. We're a part of the system and we take, you know, we work for, for NHS and for local authorities and, and love, you know, we like nothing better than working, you know, across different sectors, Ruth, as we develop integrated care systems, you know, across the NHS and across local authorities to try and bring everyone together, all the partners in that system together to um, try and influence people's behaviours. That's what we're all about, isn't it? Yeah. And it is incredibly exciting. You are uniquely positioned to help bring the partners together. You know, so we are all working as one, speaking as one to the audience who, quite frankly, don't care if it's the NHS or local authority or whoever talking to them if they're looking for support they just need to know it's a trusted support so this has been fantastic I have to say I've really enjoyed thinking back I just want to end we have our two couple of questions we always ask our guests but really want to flag there were so many fantastic campaigns you've mentioned be there tomorrow illegal tobacco was just groundbreaking absolutely fantastic and gave a whole new narrative to the you know, fighting tobacco control. And really, I think was very good for reflective thinking for people. Like you say, you think you're helping 
but actually, you know, really unaware that you're buying into almost organized crime. And I think that is such is such still an important point. And it's brilliant that that work is still going on. And then of the plane packaging and like you say, plane parks are still huge. I mean, still all these environmental levers are they're absolutely essential. And it's important that we don't get complacent on this work because of course everyone who has quit will have tried a few times. I know it took myself at least probably <laughs> 10 or so, but also you just don't want to start. You don't want to relapse. And it, so when you're planning your tobacco campaigns, it's really important that you don't just focus on getting people through the services. And if you can think strategically and think about the maintenance and all these levers really help reinforce that, you know, tobacco is bad and being smoke free is good to a smoker who has quit. And in at these times of stress, you know, we've been in lockdown a long time, not too long now. But Ooh. these are the times where, you know, if you're going to relapse, it could possibly happen. So if you are planning it, please do look at those areas. Go on, Kate. Oh, you're so right. Well, you're so right. It's such a hard time, isn't it, for anyone to change their behaviour, whether it's, you know, more exercise or less drinking or smoking. You know, we're all stuck at home going absolutely mad. But you know what? I go out and about where I live in Bristol and I go out and about and all the parks around here have got fantastic signage up saying, you know, in kids' handwriting saying, please don't smoke where we play. And you'll remember those. That's a bit of work that we did back in the day. And the signs are still up. They're still going up in parks across oh, the brilliant. whole of the southwest. So the legacy has been amazing. And they reinforce that message, you know, every single day when people take their kids out to the yeah. parks, which is brilliant. And it's because it's still so important. Big tobacco will not slow down its marketing efforts and they'll get cleverer and cleverer and so we can't and if you think from the time when we did the play parks work I think I've I've got two boys now but I don't think I had them at the beginning or I might have just had one it's all very vague in the early days isn't it but you know I'm thinking you've got the next generation coming through so I know for my lads that smoking is um you know it's a bit of a taboo the social norm is smoke free and that is reinforced in those, you know, in the signs that are in the play part now. And then there's more children, you know, generations coming through. And it's just absolutely essential that we don't get complacent and we keep that norm for everyone. And how exciting is that, that our kids, your kids, my kids are growing up in communities and environment where they just don't see people smoking. And that's such a different place from where we were 10, even 10, even five years yeah. ago you know, we we have changed, you know, public health teams, local authorities, the NHS have changed the way smoking is perceived. And that is a brilliant, brilliant thing to have done. It is. And um, so, and also, is it fair to say, Kate, it was also a little bit easier then because there were loads more smokers. I myself was the smoker in the when they do the TV interviews with a public health consultant, I would often be the smoker in the background because in the very early days, we still showed smoking. Now, from a behavioral science perspective, I can't believe it. I'm aghast that I was, so I was the comms lead <laughs> and I was at the back having a fag because, you know, they were trying talking about the importance of quitting smoking on no smoking day. And I probably, you know, it took me even working on no smoking many years to quit smoking. So I know how hard it is. 
But I think what I'm trying to say is that we got all the low hanging fruit. I think for marketing now, it, there is it is harder. It's harder to reach smokers, and perhaps smoking the people you're trying to support are so much more entrenched smokers. You know, smoke for a lot longer. So I think yeah, it was kind of gosh. When you think back, good you don't even show cigarettes in adverts now, do you? Because it. It's a trigger. When no, absolutely. <laughs> and when you, you're, it's a trigger. And you're, you're so right. You know, we had low hanging fruit was a phrase we used all the time, wasn't it, Ruth? You know, we those people that were ready, 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 ready to give up. And and there are a few of them now. But also, we had the luxury of big budgets. You know, people working in local public health teams now don't have the luxury of big budgets, so they have to be cleverer and more mm-hmm. innovative, and you know, find different routes to get messages out and about because you know they don't have the money to run TV. Campaigns or radio campaigns. So that local innovation, and we come back to stories again, don't we? People like Kirsty, local people, they don't cost anything. It doesn't cost anything to tell no. their stories. So they are just the perfect way to influence behaviors. Okay, that's fantastic. Thank you so, so much for coming on. It's been really lovely to touch base with you again. So if you were to recommend a book, please could you say what you would advise anyone who's interested in social marketing and behaviour change to read? Well, I'm going to be a bit sort of random here and a bit out there, but my book that I love reading and I've read several times is a book about politics, really, but it's Alistair Campbell's diaries. And he wrote a whole series of diaries about the the time when Blair came into power in 97. And he talks, really what he's talking about is about bringing a sort of commercial social marketing approach into politics. So about how you couldn't encourage people to vote for the Labour Party in that instance, unless you really understood who those people were and what their motivators were and you knew their audience. And he talks about that more eloquently than anyone, I think. So during lockdown, when you've got a free hour or many hours, pick up a copy of Alistair Campbell's diaries. They're really, really good fun to read and you'll learn lots about behaviour change. Oh, fantastic. That is out there. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. And so, and we like to end on sharing some love and positive thinking. So, could you please share with us what makes you your best self? When are you happiest? Oh, well, at the moment, I am happiest when I'm pottering around in my garden and sowing seeds, Ruth. I think I see myself as a bit of a Matt Damon in The Martian when he grows his potatoes. And I plant, oh. <laughs> I plant lots of little seeds. I drive my family mad because my garden and window ledges are full of seed trays with little seedlings sprouting up. And I just get such pleasure from planting some little round seeds and then taking them into seedlings and then having loads and loads of lovely plants that I can enjoy and give away to people I love. So that's my thing growing seeds. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Kay. And so good luck growing your seeds. Spring is nearly here. Oh, thank God. And we'll all be back outside soon, fingers crossed. And Kay, if anyone wants to get hold of you to learn a little bit more about what you do, what you can offer and how you can support them, what's the best way? Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Do drop me an email on Kate 
dot night four that's the number four at nhs.net and i'd love to talk to you about what we do and how we could help you and just chit chat it through that's brilliant so if you want to contact the experts in behavioral insight who are currently sitting within the nhs please get hold of kate and if you have any growing tips for her i'm sure she'd appreciate that too (laughs) i need them thank you so much for your time kate it's been great to touch base have a lovely week thanks so much ruth Thanks for listening. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, show us some love and leave a review on iTunes. We'll leave you with Ruth's favorite quote from Alice in Wonderland. I knew who I was this morning, but I've changed a few times since then. Got a favorite quote about the magic of change? Tell us over at the Behavior Change Marketing Bootcamp Group on LinkedIn. Join us for a Mad Hatter's Tea Party, virtually, 